0: Happy Sabbath, everybody. Happy Sabbath, church. I trust you all had a very depressing week, (laughs) seeing seeing as Thanksgiving is now over, and you are back to your regular scheduled program. (laughs) Yeah, Thanksgiving was an interesting one. before we start, I'd like to have a quick word of prayer for the sermon. Lord, thank you so much for the wonderful things that you have done for us all throughout the year. And now, Lord, I ask that as I preach, that you delete in me anything that is human or sinful, and that you leave only that that is holy, so that everybody here can receive your blessing and walk out of here a changed person. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, yeah, last week was Thanksgiving. Everybody was sitting around a table with their family, begrudgingly or not begrudgingly, depending on who you are. And you gave thanks for all the wonderful things that God had done for you until now. Interestingly, something that you notice is that nobody around the Thanksgiving table ever gives thanks for their challenges. Nobody ever says, thank you, because my life is hard. In my own own family, it it was a rough Thanksgiving. My father was in the hospital last week. He went into the hospital Wednesday before Thanksgiving, and he came out this last Wednesday. And I can assure you, no one in my family stood around the Thanksgiving table and said, thank God my dad was in the hospital. You can thank God for something. You can thank God that he went to the hospital. You can thank God that he survived. and all. You can thank God for the doctors. You can thank God for a lot of good things. But no one really thanks God for the actual challenges. Interestingly, though, the Bible expects us to react to challenges in a certain way. And maybe it's too much to ask that everyone's going to be happy whenever something bad happens to them. I mean, maybe that's a little far. But the Bible does expect that no matter the challenge, our faith must persevere. Our faith must endure. And our service to God cannot falter. That is something that the Bible says. And we're going to go over that today. We're going to do that by reading the story of a very interesting character in the Bible that many of you might have heard of. His name is Gideon. And everybody, when you think of Gideon, I'm sure that you're probably thinking what? 300 men, right? You're probably thinking maybe of the little fleece that he puts on the ground and he waits for God to do the little miracle and all that stuff. Okay, those things are interesting about Gideon, but what I find most interesting about Gideon is his character, because the Bible says that Gideon is a biblical hero. It says it in Hebrews. He is laid out as an example for us, and yet, at almost every step of the way, Gideon's faith faltered. And so today, as we read his story, we're going to examine what that might mean for us in our own walk. And so we're going to start by reading the book of Judges, chapter 6. So those of you who have your Bible, you can meet me there, or you can read it up on the screen. The book of Judges, chapter 6. And we're going to start by setting the scene. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. This is how it starts. This is how almost every chapter in Judges starts. (laughs) The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Before this, before this, it's worth mentioning, before this, they were at peace for 40 years. But remember that back then, people didn't live that long. Nowadays, if you live a pretty good life, you get to like 70, you know? 70, if you're lucky, you get to 80, if you're pushing at 90, and if you're a miracle, 100. But back then, getting to 60 was a pretty big deal. So they were at peace for 40 years, and all of those people that had heard about all these wonderful things that God had done, they passed away, and the only people that were left were the children, and the children had not seen the miracles of God. And so the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain cliffs, caves, and strongholds. So a little bit of background here. The Midianites were a nomadic people. For those of you that don't know what nomadic means, it's a group of people that have no home. They don't live anywhere. They move around, they stay in one place for a time, then they move, then like that. That's what the Midianites were. And what they would do is that the way they survived is they would come every harvest season... They would go to where the Israelites were living, they would kill them all, and take all their food. But here's something interesting. They would never destroy the houses of the Israelite people. And the reason why was because when they left, if they destroyed the houses, then the Israelites would just leave. But if they left the houses, the Israelites would stay, they would spend another year doing their crops so that the Midianites can come back next year and kill them again. So that's what the Midianites were doing. And it was so bad, what they were doing was so bad that the Israelite people needed to hide in caves, live in caves, to even lead a life. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined all the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkey. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded it, the land, to ravage it. And Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they did what? They cried out. And so today, I'm going to start by asking you, who are the Midianites in your life? What is the Midian in your life? What is breaking you? Is it depression? Is it poverty? Maybe you're stuck somewhere you don't want to be. Maybe you're stuck in a job you hate. Maybe you're stuck in a marriage you're not very happy about. Everyone's got a Midian, everybody. And the first step to anything is to understand what that Midian is. So what is the Midian in your life? The second thing you have to learn is that even if you're like Israel, you can also cry out for help. And that's what Midian did. They were so impoverished, they cried out for help. And the Lord responded. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hands of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. And now this might sound pretty harsh. If you're reading this, you're like, wow, they asked for help, and God said, no, this is what you did. That's not the case. Because God was reminding them of the power that he had shown in their lives previously. And when we are in the middle of a rut, when we are at rock bottom, it's important for us to remember the things that God did for you back then. The times in my life where I found myself at rock bottom, and there have been a few. The most important thing I could have done was to remember, you know what? God brought me this far. He brought me this far, and he's not going to leave me now. I may as well just keep going. (laughs) So God said this message to them, and then he did something interesting. He acted. And he did this. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, where his son, who? Gideon, was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midians. So they were so oppressed that Gideon had to thresh wheat in a wine press, because that was the only place that the, Midians, the Midianites wouldn't attack, because it was strategically unviable. So that's what he was doing. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now this is an interesting statement because it tells us that Gideon was already a fighter. Gideon was a warrior. He was known for being a fighter. And so God appears to him and he says, God is with you, mighty warrior. And so now we get to hear what Gideon, the example, the one that we should look up to in the Bible says. He stands up And he bravely responds, pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. How many times have you said that to God in your life? I know I've said it quite a number of times. How many times have you read the book of Acts and seen people come back to life and you say, God, where is your power? How many times have you felt doubt that God is really going to pull through for you? I think we've all been there. And even Gideon, the mighty mighty man of faith, that's the very first thing he says to God. And and the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And this is one of the first important points to remember. Gideon was complaining to God that God was not saving them. But here was God sending Gideon to save them. It's a pretty ironic situation. You say, God, why aren't you saving me, man? And God says, I am saving you. You're the one. How many times has that happened in your life? (laughs) You're like, man, I wish I had more money. And then a a job posting comes up, and you're like, "Nah, nah, that's not for me. That's not my job. (laughs) How many many times has that happened? How many times has that happened? I hear it. <laughs> I'm not going to say any names, but I got a friend. He's always like, Man, I need a girlfriend. I need a girlfriend. Alright. Yeah. And a girl walks up to him and he goes like, nah, I don't like her. I don't like her. I don't like her. <laughs> I'm like, oh alright, bro. <laughs> don't complain. <laughs> and that's what was happening to Gideon. He says, God says, Am I not sending you? And Gideon says, Oh, well, pardon me, Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. So he was a small fish in a small pond. Yeah. The least in my family. That means he was probably the youngest son. So it wasn't appropriate for him to be taking leadership. So when God says, hey, you're going to do it, he says, no, 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 I can't do it. I'm, I'm in the weakest family, and I'm the weakest one in the family. I I can't do anything. (laughs) And the Lord answered, I will be with you. And you will strike down all of the Midianites, leaving none alive. And this is an important point to remember. Because there are times in our lives where we are so caught up looking at ourselves in the mirrors and pointing out all the flaws that we don't see that Jesus Christ is standing behind us. Come on. God picks broken people on purpose. There's a reason God went to Gideon. He went to Gideon because he was the weakest in the weakest clan. And so maybe if God is calling you, maybe that's not really a compliment. (laughs) But we have to remember that it's not about us. God wants to do something through you, not for you, for God. And we will have our reward in the end, but we do it for God. So don't ever let any kind of sin or any kind of past that you may have prevent you from doing what you have to do. If you're sitting at home saying, no, 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 I can't sing on the worship team because I'm this, this, and this, and this, and this, you're doing it wrong. You have to sing in the worship team because you are those things. So Gideon, the man of faith, says, if I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. (laughs) This guy is a role model, man. Please do not go away until I come back and I bring you my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, okay, I will wait until you return. Gideon went inside and he prepared a young goat. I'm going to make a note here. I have been eating goat in a Jamaican place (laughs) man (laughs) there is a reason God picked goat (laughs) so so Gideon goes inside and he prepares his curry goat and he comes out to the Lord He comes out to the Lord with an ephah, a flour. He made bread without yeast. And he put the meat in a basket and a broth in a pot. And he offered them and he put it under the oak tree. And the angel of the Lord said, take the meat and the unleavened bread and place them on the rock and pour out the broth. So Gideon did it. And then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the bread with the tip of the staff. And the fire flared, consuming the food. It was considerate that he told him to take the food out of the basket and didn't burn his basket. But surely now Gideon has no doubt. Right? If I walked up to you and I said, I have a message from the Lord, and you said, oh, yeah? Why don't you melt this car? And I said, and the car melted. You wouldn't doubt me anymore, right? Surely you wouldn't doubt God anymore. That's crazy. Who would do that? Well, (laughs) the meat and the bread and the angel of the Lord disappeared. And when Gideon realized that it was finally the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face, which back then meant you're probably dead. And the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. It's all right. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it peace, the the, the Lord is peace. To this day it stands in Ophrah of the Abirites. And that same night, this is the first test God gives him. That same night, he says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that's seven years old. You're going to tear down the altar to Baal. And cut down the asher pole beside it. For those of you that might not know, Baal was a pagan god that the Israelite people had been worshiping instead of Jehovah. And his own father had an altar to Baal. And that's an important note to remember. Because if we're going to serve the Lord, we've got to deal with our own sins. Now, you're not going to be perfect. No one's going to be perfect. And we see that even in this story, Gideon is not perfect, okay? No one's perfect. But you have to try and address it. How many of us go to church and we point out all the negative things about everyone else? Well, maybe you should learn from Gideon. God says, you're going to go to your father's altar. You're going to burn it down. You're going to cut down the Asher pool beside it. Then you're going to build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. Using the wood of the Asher pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. And of course, Gideon just saw a fire come up, right? So obviously, he can't possibly be afraid. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told them. But because he was what? Afraid. Afraid. (laughs) of his family and the townspeople he did it at night rather than the daytime (laughs) how many times has someone walked up to you and said I need help and instead of giving them help because you are afraid of what they will do you say I'll pray for you how many times do we skimp out on blessings, because we're afraid. And sometimes you can be afraid of people in your own family. Sometimes it's people in the church. Sometimes it's the world, yep, true. But fear comes from everywhere, and you have to understand that the work of God comes first. So Gideon, being the smart man that he is, he did it, but he did it in his own way. And so we're going to skip this part of the story, because it's a little long. But essentially, he does that. And the people of the town, they want to kill him. <laughs> so his father jumps in, in his defense, and he says, no, 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 don't kill my son. If Baal is God, Baal will protect himself. So they gave Gideon a new name. And the reason I'm telling you this is because if it says it later on, you'll know who it is. They gave him the name Jerub Baal, or Jerub Baal. It basically means, let Baal deal with him. <laughs> so... His name was like a curse. (laughs) And so that's what they called him. So surely now Gideon has received a sign of fire. He has been saved from certain doom. Surely now he does not doubt the Lord. But Gideon says, Gideon says to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, if, as you have promised, then I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. And if there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand. So he puts down this little fleece. He says, in the morning, if only the fleece is wet and the ground is dry, then I know that you will save me. All right. So the Lord does it. (laughs) The next day he rose early, and sure enough, he squeezed the fleece and it was full of water, a bowl full of water, it says. Surely now he's okay, right? He received three signs. Gideon was a persistent man. And he says, okay, okay, don't be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. This time, if the fleece is dry, but all the ground around it is wet, then I'll know that it was you. And God obliged. And this is a testament to how much God is willing to pursue us. (laughs) I hope that you don't put God through the ringer. (laughs) But if you do, know that God will pursue you. God is pursuing you. And he will pursue you to the end of the earth. To the end of time, he will pursue you. Because he wants to be with you in heaven that's why he does what he does. So we moved to the story. Now Gideon has received enough complaints, enough tests, and he gets ready. And he says, okay, we're going to march. And so it says, Judges chapter 7, it says, early in the morning, Jerubbao, who we now know is Gideon, and all of his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. (laughs) Guys, how many Midians were there? Do you remember what the Bible said about that? There were too many to count. And the Lord says to him, you have too many men. (laughs) Okay, so Gideon, and he says... You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands. And now here's the reason why, guys. Remember this reason. Or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Remember what we were talking about earlier? He picks broken people on purpose. So that when you, in your brokenness, do the work of God, you don't say, oh, well, I'm so precious. You give the glory to God. That's what God says right there. And so God says, now announce to the army, anybody who trembles with fear, you may turn back. So if you're scared, turn around. How many, how many people do you guys think he left? Like a guess, I don't know, throw it out. For those of you who haven't read it. 300 men left? Like turned around and fled? No. So 22,000 men left, while only 10,000 remained. Two-thirds of his army. Pew. The moment God said, you're too scared, leave, 22,000 men said, I'm too scared, I left. <laughs> you can't really blame him, I guess. So surely now Gideon says, OK, well, you know, I guess 10,000 men, we can figure it out. We can figure it out. So God says, Gideon, there's still too many. I'm going to put this into perspective for you guys. Imagine that God tells you right now, you have to go fight the heavyweight boxing champion of the world. You, like without training, you right now. And so you say, "Okay, I guess I'll start training. And God says, no, no, you don't need to train. (laughs) And you say, "Okay." And he says, actually, you're going to do it with your hands tied behind your back, and you're blindfolded. How many of you would do it? Like, seriously, how many of you would do it? I wouldn't do it. How many of you are going to get knocked out in front of all your friends? (laughs) That sucks. I'm going to laugh at you. But Gideon was dealing with this on a much bigger scale. Because if he failed, not only would he have brought disgrace to his whole clan, he was going to die. And not just die, he was going to die, die. Old timey style. Back then, it wasn't a quick shot. Back then, they hung you or sawed you in half for all kinds of horrible things. That's what Gideon was facing. But he says, okay, I'll do it. And so the Lord creates a test. He says, take them down to the water. And to the one that I say, let him go, let him go. And to the one that I say, stay, he'll keep you. And so Gideon took the men down to the water, and the Lord said this. Separate those who lap water with their tongues as a dog from those who kneel down to drink. You have two ways of drinking if there's a river, right? You can kneel down, right? Or you can bend over, take the water, and drink it. And so God says, separate the ones who do this from the ones who kneel. Okay, Gideon does that. And then God says, 300 men. Drank like this, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down to the knees to drink. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men, I will give the Midianites into your hands. That's a big ask. That is a big ask. 300 men. And you're going to kill supposedly, I don't know, millions maybe? I don't know. Let all the other ones go home. So he sent them all home. So Gideon sent all the Israelites home, and he took over the provisions and the trumpets of the other ones. Remember the trumpets. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. So they were up on a hill, there's a valley down here, that's where the Midians camped. Midianites camped. And during the night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. Did you guys know that? that the original plan was for Gideon to just go down and kill them all? Yeah. The Lord said that. And surely now, after three or four tests, Gideon believes in the word of God, right? Surely now. So God says, if you are afraid to attack, spoiler alert, he is, go down to the camp with your servant, Pura. And listen to what they are saying, your enemies. Listen to what the enemies are saying. And afterwards, you're going to want to attack the camp. So he went down with his servant. And the Midianites and the Amalekites, they were all there, thick as locusts, and their camels couldn't be counted. So Gideon arrived, and just as he arrived, there was an enemy who was telling a dream to his friend. And this was the dream. I had a dream. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. So his buddy, the guy who's listening to the dream, he says, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Guys, the Midianites knew they were doomed. And now this is an important point, because sometimes the so-called faithless have more faith than we do. God is calling you to a mission, and God has already been working there for you. God is calling you to something, and he has already set you up for success. But because we are afraid, we do nothing. It's like the story. There's a joke that I really like. There was a Baptist preacher. And he was standing there one Sunday, and he realized that there were less and less members coming to church. And so when he looked across the street, he noticed that it's because there was a bar that just opened across the street. And what was happening was that the people were going to church. They saw the bar, and they'd say, never mind, and they go to the bar. <laughs> so the pastor, very wisely says, I know what I'll do. And he forms a week of prayer, and he says, we're going to pray for the bar to burn down. <laughs> so he prays, God, burn down the bar, God. The moment it's done, a lightning storm comes, strikes the bar and burns it. <laughs> so the bartender hearing about this goes like, I'm going to sue you, and he sues them. And he says, I'm suing them because they prayed for my bar to burn down and burn down. And so the judge says, is that true? And the pastor goes like, well, I mean, we were just praying. (laughs) We didn't do anything. I mean, we didn't expect it to happen. And so the judge starts to laugh. And he says, this bartender has more faith in your prayer than you do. (laughs) How many times has that happened to us? How many times have you... How many times have you seen some very scary-looking dude, and you're like, no, I can't talk to him about God. And then it turns out the dude pulls out a Bible or something. You're like, oh. <laughs> Sometimes the faithless have more faith than we do because God doesn't just work on you. God doesn't just work on people in this building. God is not restricted to a place. God works everywhere. God works everywhere and through everyone. And it is a privilege that he brings us in on it. It's our privilege. And so Gideon, he hears this, and he bowed down and he worshiped. And he came back, and he said, get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into our hands. And so he did something very clever. Listen to this one. He divided his 300 men into three companies, 100 men each. And he placed the trumpets and the empty jars in the hands of all of them. So they had trumpets, and they had a torch, and on top of the torch, they had a little pot. Here's something interesting to remember about the trumpets. Back then, in war, they didn't have headpieces, they didn't have microphones, they didn't have bullhorns. The only way for a man on the front line to know what his orders were were to hear the trumpets, because the different trumpet sounds were the different orders. So the general in the back would say, Turn left. And the guy would go, pa-pa. And then the other trumpeters, they would hear it and they go, pa pa. And so the men in the front line, when they heard pa-pa, they go, okay, then they turn left. So normally, if you heard a trumpet in battle, there's like about a hundred, a thousand men listening to that trumpet. So Gideon gives every single one of his three hundred men a trumpet. And he sets them up outside, and it's the middle of the night. Remember, back then, they didn't have street lights; They didn't have anything, okay? So they couldn't see anything. And he says, follow my lead. When I blow the trumpet, then all of you are going to blow your trumpets. And then you're going to yell, for the Lord and for Gideon. A little prideful, but whatever. For the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men, they reached the edge of the camp. It's the middle watch, middle watch would be around midnight, maybe 1 or 2 in the morning, just after they had changed the guard, so they were in disorder. And they blew their trumpets, and they broke their jars. And you see 300 torches come out of nowhere. Imagine being a Midianite, it's the middle of the night, you're tired, you're disorganized, you hear 300 trumpets. In your mind, that has to be a force of like a million dudes. And you see the torches all around your camp. So you think, we're surrounded. It's the middle of the night. You don't know who's next to you. Have you ever been outside, of, like camping somewhere? It's hard here in this our particular area. But, but I, lived in, uh, I lived in Tennessee and Michigan for a long time. And especially Michigan, man. On a Michigan winter, if there's no street lights, you can't see your hand. Like right in front of your face. Very dark. And so they smashed the trumpets, grabbed the torches, and they shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon! While each man held his position around the camp. And the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. And the Midianites, who were confused, what did they do? The moment they bumped into anyone, thinking they were surrounded, they attacked. And the Lord caused the men of the Midianite camp to turn on each other with their swords and like that three hundred men took down a swarm of locusts that is the power of what God can do if you are willing to persevere through your fear through your fear that is the power and so the army fled they ran All that wonderful stuff. And they were destroyed. And, yeah, I mean, those are a bunch of names. I mean, mean, if you want to read them, you're more than welcome to. But uh, There's one more interesting thing about Gideon's story. I'm not going to read it exactly because of time. But after Gideon won and all these things happened, the people wanted Gideon to be the king. But Gideon said no. However, Gideon did something interesting. He created an ephod out of gold, out of the plunder. For those of you that don't know what an ephod is, back then, the tabernacle priests, they had their tunic. They had an ephod, which was like a little smaller tunic with no no sleeves on top. And then they had a little breastplate. So the ephod was normally very well decorated. So Gideon made one out of gold. And he put it in his camp, or, you know, where he lived. But something happened. The Israelites began to worship the ephod, and not God. God had just saved them. And the Israelites thanked the ephod, and not God. It says it right there. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there. So this is a word of caution. Do not let the victories of the Lord turn into your own victories. We are broken people, and God is willing to use us. God wants to use us. But do not let the victories of the Lord go to you. And so now, as we've read Gideon's story, you might be wondering this guy was a hero of faith? All right. But that's what the Bible says. And maybe that says something about us. Maybe we can be heroes of faith. You don't have to be perfect, maybe you read the Bible. And you say, man, I'm never going to be like Abraham. I'm never going to be like David. God forbid you're like David. The heroes of the Bible were not perfect people. And it's important to know that. Because when you realize that he still uses broken people, then you realize that he can use you. And don't just take my word for it. It says it in Hebrews, and we're going to end with this verse. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. By what, guys? By faith. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about who? Gideon. Barak, who? Samson, Jephthah, about David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lion, who quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to what? Strength. The Lord can turn your weakness into strength. That is what the Bible is saying. And who became powerful in battle and routed foreign enemies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goat skins, destitute, persecuted. They went, well, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These people are where we come from, guys. This is our ancestry. This is who we are. We endure. We endure through faith. They were all commended for what? For their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, so because of all of that, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us do what? Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on who? Jesus, not on yourself, not on your sin, on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus Christ is our example. He is the only one who is perfect. That does not mean he can't use you who are imperfect. With that, let's have a final word of prayer, and then I'd like to invite uh, our newly baptized members so that we can all give them a short welcome to to the family. Lord, thank you for your challenges. We, We are too easily shaken. There's so many times in our lives where we... We, we just don't do what we're supposed to do, be it because of fear or laziness or whatever it is it, it is. But we know now that you can work through us even though we are broken. And I ask, Lord, that you help repair these people and even though they might not be perfect here, Lord, perfect their work in your name. Perfect their attitude so that whatever victories they have, they can rightly give it to you. Let their lives be an example and a reflection of your love, Lord, so that when we get into heaven, then we will be perfect. Then we will see you. Then we will can love one another as a family that we were meant to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by Plantation's Seven Day Adventist Church, a Christ-centered congregation dedicated to spreading the good news of God's love through sermons, deeper dive conversations, and much more. If you'd like to listen to more life lessons and inspirational content, please visit us at plantationsda.tv.